Welcome to Inside the Castle, the podcast that goes behind castle doors to have real conversations with real people about solving the nation's toughest challenges. I'm one of your hosts today, Angie Fryermuth. And I'm Kat McCain. Today we're joined by Andy Barnes, the Director of Inland Navigation Design Center, and Andy Harkness, who is the Deputy Director of the Inland Navigation Design Center. So today we're going to talk about the Inland Design Center and learn more about it. Hopefully leave the podcast knowing what their role is within USACE and where they see themselves in the future. But before we do that, we're going to get to know our guests a bit more. So Andy, can you tell us about yourself and how you got to where you are today? Uh, good afternoon, and thanks for having me on today. Uh, my name is Andy Barnes. I'm the director of the Inland Navigation Design Center. I have been with the Corps of Engineers Rock Island District for about 20 years. I got my Bachelor of Civil Engineering and Master's in Civil Engineering from Iowa State University. Um, I spent a couple of years working for a geotechnical consulting firm, and then I spent a couple of years working for the Iowa Department of Transportation before coming to work for Rock Island District in 2001. When I came into the district, I began in the geotechnical branch of engineering division. I worked on a couple of major rehabs of Mississippi River locks before transitioning to operations division out at the Mississippi River Project Office. I worked there for about five years in the lock and dam section and in the maintenance section. And that's where I really learned about, about navigation facilities in the core. After spending about five years there, we had a significant flood in 2008 on the Mississippi River, and we got a lot of funding to um, do repairs to our facilities. I went on a detail as a project manager and ended up moving into project management in Rock Island District in 2009 and spent about the next six years working as a project manager on various navigation projects. There was a lot of work coming on at this time. It was during it was during ERA, and we had a lot of projects. Some of the big initiatives that we did during that time was the replacement of all of the miter gates on the Mississippi River locks in Rock Island District. After about six years in that position, I took a promotion to the uh, assistant DPM for Rock Island District in 2015. So when I went in, into that position, I moved beyond navigation and worked in, in other business lines such as FRM and ecosystem restoration. And after being in that position for uh, about six years, in uh, 2021, just this past July, I was selected to uh, be the director of the INDC. And what about you, Andy? Good afternoon. Yeah, my name's Andy Harkness. Well, I have 35 years of engineering experience. I am a Penn State graduate and for a bachelor degree, and that's in uh, structural engineering. Then I went to the University of Pittsburgh, got a master's degree in structural engineering. I joined the Corps in 1989, and when I started as a stru structural engineer, worked on a couple new locks, the Grace Landing Lock and Dam Point Marion, and then we moved on to projects on the Monongahela River. I guess a good project I worked on there was the Braddock Dam. I did the concept design for a float-in structure. Back in around 2002, 
was a technical manager for concept design for the Atlantic Ocean entrance locks to the Panama Canal. And then in uh, 2004, started working with headquarters on dam safety and they were creating a risk management philosophy to manage their infrastructure for dams. Worked there until 2016 when I was recruited and came on to the INDC as a deputy director. And it's been a great career here. Thank you both. I, I always love hearing our guests how they got to where they are with the core today. And obviously you guys both have navigation experience and both have a lot of design engineering experience. So our, our listeners probably know that the core does navigation and our, the core probably does design. So our listeners may not know what is the Inland Navigation Design Center and where is it located? So the INDC uh, is a mandatory center of expertise um, focused on inland navigation design. So it's so a lock and dam infrastructure. The INDC is centered in two divisions, MVD and LRD. The director sits in Rock Island District and has command and control up through Rock Island District through MVD to headquarters. The deputy director sits in Pittsburgh District um, and interfaces with LRD. And then the staff of the center is geographically located throughout MVD and LRD. So we have people, we're all, we're all actually Rock Island employees, but we are physically located at various districts throughout the two divisions. How was the INDC created and what was the reasoning for it? The INDC has its roots going back more than 10 years ago under the Civil Works Transformation Initiative for looking at methods of delivery for inland navigation, they decided to create a INDC. And really the intent, the overall objective is to consolidate technical expertise within the center to facilitate efficient, effective delivery of specialized design and related engineering services, inland navigation. So it really started, uh, I guess, in 2013, when there's a, a directive to MVD to stand up a center in Rock Island, one center, two locations, uh, the other location is Pittsburgh. Very interesting. Um, so obviously, when when it was created, it was to help with you know consolidating all the design expertise into these locations. Outside of that benefit, what other benefit? does the INDC provide to the core? So one of the ways that we really try to provide a lot of benefit to projects is through the use of design charrettes. This concept uh, is also addressed in our ER, but the idea of a design charrette is to identify all the right people up front to get involved in the project. It's not just the designers. It, it does include the designers, but it also includes the users and other stakeholders so that you get all the issues uh, and all the aspects of the design up front. You can get all the, all the constraints and everything that you want to address in the design, and you have everybody there who can speak to all these items. And we encourage people to, to perform these at the beginning of your project 
so that you can get the quality in up front. It's not something that that costs a lot of money. Uh, they're scalable, and they really provide a tremendous amount of value. And that is how we look for ways to to use standardized designs to end up with these common components. Those are aspects of the design that we can look at at the very beginning when we're doing these design charrettes. That's one of the keys to how we have historically and will continue to provide the value that we do to these projects. When you were talking about your successes, it was obvious that you've done some work for uh, core districts and stateside, but we were just interested if you have done work for international partners, and if so, could you talk a little bit about that? We do support for some external agencies through coordination with districts like Mobile District. They have a lot of relationships with uh, governments in South America, and we do provide support to Mobile in uh, accomplishing their work that they have with these external governments. We don't have a lot of work that we perform directly with other governments internationally, but we do have a lot of relationships with some international organizations. There's an organization called PIONC. It actually is the, the World Association for Waterborne Transport Infrastructure. It's based in Belgium, and it uh, focuses on maintaining expertise and, and performing technology transfer on a waterborne transport throughout the world. So we do maintain an inactive relationship with that group. It's been very difficult the last couple of years uh, because of, of all the limitations on travel, but we do still regularly interact with that group we have done work in a couple places internationally. Uh, in the Ukraine, we traveled there and, and made an assessment of their waterway system. And we've also done uh, a similar activity in Brazil. That's part of what the Ukraine work is, is something that Andy participated in, so he, can, so he can speak to that a little bit more. But the Brazil work, was done around 2018, and it was it was a site visit where we went and we we helped them uh, assess all of their facilities, and helped them start to develop a program to to operate and maintain these sites. A lot of them were not in an operable condition when they were evaluated, and we subsequently put on uh, a workshop in Brazil for the government on how we do operation and maintenance and some of the programs that we've established to help us do that. And we are currently in uh, discussion with, with Mobile District about um, doing kind of a, a second round of that in Brazil, going and visiting these the sites again, um, because my understanding is that they're all now operable, that we would go take a look at those and see what they've done and possibly provide another another workshop along the same lines. And then also to, to uh, participate with Mobile District in arranging a visit for the uh, officials from uh, Brazil to come and visit some lock and dam facilities in the U.S. so that they can see firsthand how, how our processes work. We've done work for the State Department. That's how we got involved with the Ukraine. We went over to the Ukraine, Inecbro, 
river. The, of course, the U Ukraine is uh, probably the second largest breadbasket in the world for agriculture. They really wanted to know how to improve their, their infrastructure to, to get commodities moved, either by truck, rail, and water. And over the years, their waterways were, have been degrading, and they were looking for a plan. How do they move from where they are today to a safe and reliable system. So we assessed their projects and came up basically an asset management plan to, to move from state of deterioration to a vital waterway. Well, it's been about what almost nine years since uh, the, the concept of INDC came about. And so I know that there has to be some successes that you guys have had along the way. Uh, so can you talk a little bit about these successes? Sure, Angie. Uh, a couple of the big successes that we've had have been in uh, the analysis and design of existing miter gate anchorages. As time goes by, a lot of the components that wear at Lock and Dam uh, over, over time have to be replaced. But a lot of times, I mean, you may replace a, a miter gate, but what it attaches to in the wall, that's not as easily replaced and it's not as easy to determine what kind of, of a condition that it's in. So we've done work at, at several sites, including the Polock up at the, up at the Sulock site and at various sites on the upper Mississippi River, modeling the potential uh, fatigue failure of these embedded miter gate anchorages. We work very closely with um, Erdic and the Searle Laboratory in Champaign to model these components and try to predict where they were at in their fatigue life. Another success lies along the lines of one of the items that's just starting to uh, kind of be a new topic, a new uh, innovative thing which is the use of composite materials in these NAV structures. So about mm, probably five years ago, we, we worked closely with uh, Erdic, with Searle, and uh, we developed a design for a composite wicket gate uh, in the Rock Island District. So the Rock Island District has two lock and dam facilities that have wicket dams. Those are at uh, LaGrange and Peoria on the Illinois Waterway. And the way that these wicket dams work, if you're not familiar with them, when there is plenty of water in the system, um, these wickets is just like these, it's uh, like a series of uh, needles that comprise the dam. When there's enough water in the system, they simply lower the wickets. And then the navigation traffic doesn't actually have to go through the lock chamber, it just traverses right over the dam. And then when there's less water in the system, there's a mechanism and they're able to, to hinge these wickets up to create a dam. And then when you're at that condition, then, then any, any navigation traffic has to go through the lock. So these wickets are typically made out of timber material. That was the original from 1930s and that's what we had maintained. But these wickets, which each one is say, like three or four feet wide and 15 or 20 feet long, each of these would probably last for about 10 years or less before it would deteriorate to the point it would need to be replaced. 
I mean, that's a lot of work and that's a lot of money, actually. These these wickets, the the uh, oak timber that that used to build these things were very expensive. And so we identified those if we could if we could make those out of, out of a composite material, so some sort of polymer material that would not deteriorate like a wood timber, um, there would be a potential savings there. We worked with Erdic and uh, came up with the way to to work with the composite industry to start to create these. I, I think we procured about three of them to begin with. The cost of them, even the first cost of these composite wickets were less than the timber. So even the first cost was less. And those have been in place for about five years and they've been monitored and they've been performing well. So we're now in the process of starting to procure more, more and more of those wickets um, if you take the savings over over a 50-year life, which is what we anticipate to get out of a composite wicket, it could be longer than that, but let's say it lasts for 50 years. The savings, if you have the entire dams done at Peoria and LaGrange out of these composite wickets, is on the order of $20 million uh, compared to wood timbers. Just looking for applications of these innovative technologies is a is a real potential and and we're uh, continuing uh, to evaluate how we can use composite materials in in the right in the right situations. One, one comment back to the work up at Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, with the miter gate anchorages. That facility is primary transport for high quality iron ore and. A sunny day failure of those miter gate anchorage anchorages would be measurable in a percentage of the gross national product of the United States. It would have resulted in a total shutdown. Had had it failed, had we not fixed it, identified it, and repaired it, if it would have failed, it would have been shut down all automotive, manufacturing, appliances like refrigerators and stoves in North America. So that's uh, probably one of our more significant things for for the United States, really. Yeah, so that's a great success for the INDC to be involved with that. Obviously, with all of these things that the INDC has been involved with, there's got to be some challenges, right? Because you guys have been around for 10 years. What, what has been the most challenging task for the INDC to tackle? I'll start with you, Andy Harkness. Oh, uh, you know, when we started, Steve Stockton told us we'd have to rely on our entrepreneurial skills, and he's telling engineers that. So it was a challenge getting funding. You know, we were starting out, we had uh, just a small group. I think, you know, we started out hiring six people or technical managers, uh, a director and deputy director. And it's just been a challenge, you know, finding the workload and navigation was rather low in the mid, you know, 2016 to 2020. So that was a challenge, just, just staying, surviving, I guess. And now, uh, you know, there's just an awful lot of work in the navigation with the Sulak, the Upper Ohio, NESP, the infrastructure bill coming. I think the, our problem is the other side now. Uh, how do we deal with too much work? 
like Andy Harkness said, one of the one of the challenges early in the life of the center was, um, you know, trying trying to find the right amount of work. It was it was not it wasn't like the environment is right now. The center still is not a large group. We currently have about 16 employees. So obviously, you know, we we are not doing a lot of production design work. The way that the center works is that we coordinate with districts. We build these virtual teams. We are involved in in four mega projects right now, and the lead engineer for each of those mega projects, uh, which are the new lock of the Sioux, the Upper Ohio project, Brazos River floodgates, and Brandon Road interbasin project. The lead engineer for each of those projects is uh, within INDC, but the design team outside of that is is comprised of people from the districts, and that's how we've functioned to date, where we provide certain uh, expertise, but the bulk of the work, the bulk of the, of the team still comes from the district. To address your original question, you know, what are, what are some of our challenges? I'm fairly new to this position, but I think historically, and even, and even today to some extent, um, one of the challenges is, is this center going to come in and take a bunch of work away from districts? The messages, you know, that we want to send out is we come in peace. Uh, we're here to help. We're not here to, to take work away from districts. We are here to partner with and coordinate with districts and, and bring in the right, the right people and the right expertise um, that we either have in the center or we have access to because we do this sort of work all over the country. So we may know if you're doing work over here and you're doing this type of work, we may know, oh, well, they've done that in this division and district over here. Let's get that expertise over with this team. That's the real value. That's the real power of the INDC, I think, is uh, identifying the right people to get involved in, in these designs upfront from the very beginning so that we can ensure the consistency and quality that we need to deliver for the enterprise. Yeah, so I guess one thing, when the INDC was envisioned, it was, I think I mentioned earlier, a consolidation of technical expertise. And we managed that by not staffing internally but as Andy said, managing the community of practice and identification of talent pools. Yes, absolutely. The the community of practices does offer that opportunity to pull in talent um, and to help uh, manage projects and workload as, as we go along. We're nearing the end of our time together, but before we leave, I, I would like to know, what is the future of INDC? So we just talked about, you know, what the, Say the last 10 years, you know how the center has has uh, evolved. The work environment today, it's almost unbelievable how much work uh, appears to be on the immediate horizon. We had already, you know, started working on four mega projects, and now with the passage of the infrastructure bill, um, the amount of work that is coming to the core is almost unbelievable. 
it's a very exciting time to be in the Corps of Engineers. I mean, I know I know people when I when I came to Rock Island in 2001 had been talking about designing new 1,200-foot locks on the Mississippi River um, for some time. We are now going into an era where where it appears that that is um, fairly likely to start occurring. As that happens, as that um, work environment goes on, you know, the INDC will continue to evaluate what we need to do, how we need to adapt to provide the services that we need to provide to the organization. We haven't found out exactly what's coming yet, but I mean, we've seen some pretty big numbers uh, and we know the types of projects that it's going to. Once that becomes known, probably early calendar year, we will be um, working closely with all the districts that are receiving those projects, uh, working with them to see to see what they need from us. And we need to increase our, our staff and capability in order to keep up with that workload. We will certainly do that. But it's it's something that you know people have been have been waiting decades for something like this to happen. You know, the amount of, of, our, of our navigation infrastructure that was constructed uh, in the 1930s, that's the bulk of a lot of our nav infrastructure is in the 60 to 80 years old or more. And having the opportunity to bring us into a more, a more modern age and do a lot of work to, to make these sites more resilient, more reliable, uh, and, and really give us the capacity that in a lot of cases we have outdated capacity and we need to bring it into the modern era. It's a very exciting time. I, I wish that I was coming into the core right now instead of 20 years ago, but I'm glad that I'm still here to get to experience it and just looking forward to, to all the work ahead in the next decade and beyond. I thank you, Andy and Andy, for joining us today for this edition of Inside the Castle. We appreciate you and your insights. To our listeners, we want to hear from you, what topics are important to you and people you are interested in hearing from. Until next time, be safe, be innovative, and be revolutionary. Thanks for joining us for this Inside the Castle podcast. To provide your feedback, email us at cw.infrastructure.team at usace.army.mil. Stay tuned for additional Inside the Castle podcasts as we explore life inside the core and revolutionize civil works together.